Hi there. Um, my name is Leif Braggerson. Um, I'm very proud uh, to have a chance to introduce to you Robert Proudfoot. Um, he is a self-published author, born and raised in Edmonton. Um, Robert had his life enriched by cross-cultural cross experiences in Africa when, during the early 1970s, he completed high school and studied at the University of Zambia. He later worked as an agroforester in Nigeria from 1988 to 1991. As an environmental scientist, Robert writes technical documents, but he also follows his passion for creative writing. Aside from self-publishing in 2019, Enduring Art, Active Fact, Three Generations Create, a collection of poetry, short stories, essays, and artwork created by three generations of his family, Robert published 35 essays in various church, community, or professional magazines since 1980. He also researched and wrote the historical backgrounder for a DVD commemorating First Mennonite Church's 50th anniversary in 2009. Uh, we're going to have a reading from Robert from his book, and um, that will he Robert will read for a few minutes and we'll have a chance to answer any questions you have afterwards. Um, any any questions you have, you can put them in the chat and uh, we'll, we'll get to them at the appropriate time. And so without further ado, I give you Robert Proudfoot. Okay, hello everybody and good morning or good evening wherever you are in the world. I am honored to be able to read from my book for you. Uh, the book I'm going to read from is actually my third book. It's called uh, Come By Here, My Lord, Seen in a Mirror Dimly. And it talks about the uh, era in Southern Africa during the early 1970s. It's a novel set in that period. And it celebrates the uh, friendships that were uh, possible uh, between people across racial boundaries and ethnic boundaries and religious boundaries and uh, also the uh, socioeconomic boundaries. And the story takes place in Lusaka, Zambia. And uh, it explores the coming of age of a young expatriate Canadian man named Orwell Hughes. He uh, has a father named uh, Juana James Hughes. Uh, he invites a friend uh, to help him with some of the struggles he's having. Uh, his life is pretty good, but he also has struggles. He, uh, he's, he's, he suffers from racism and also has awkward social relationships. And he invites his friend from uh, Edmonton named Tracy McDonaghy to come and help him uh, solve some of the problems. Uh, Tracy comes at Easter time with his sisters, Alicia and Kathleen. Uh, they stay longer than expected. They are not as the family remembered from five years previous when they left to go to Africa. Uh, and so the, the, the McDonaghy's uh, basically turn Orwell's uh, life upside down. He has an idyllic life and they force him to confront different realities. But Orwell and his family are also able to uh, teach the McDonaghy's about the value of embracing and engaging the other which would be people of, that are of color, people of uh, maybe different ideas, people of social status that's different. Uh, the Hughes family makes a real concerted effort while they're in Zambia to 
have a cross-cultural uh, living with uh, Africans. Okay, so I'm going to read from uh, chapter chapter 20 verses, uh, uh, sorry, uh, pages 27 to 31. It's about a party at the Hughes house uh, for the McDonoughies when they come to Africa. Soon, young people were milling about under a starry sky on the back deck, giggling and chatting among the lava lamps and many candles flickering within the multi-colored lanterns. At first, bold downbeat of rock and roll music, Orwell and Richard, whose Orwell's brother assumed that they could take their adorable female partners onto the dance floor to enjoy a, pri a private fling. But Africans shied away from such intimacy, preferring instead to dance artistically within their genders or as one large enthusiastic group. Georgina gently took Alicia by the hand and bid her shy friend to dance beside her while Cephas and Benjamin cavorted with Orwell. At times, Orwell's chaps moved fluidly around Alicia. She found herself in sights of shyly grinning David or enthusiastically shaking Solomon. Whenever the big cats, the big cats moved uh, on, moseyed about uh, the JJ or Georgina. Susanna and Ali preferred one another's company as did Richard and Kathleen but each couple jovially mingled as everyone danced together to the rhythmic reggae beat supplied by Ali's ghetto blaster. Orwell marveled at how his friends gravitated to Alicia. He found himself grinning and strutting his stuff for want of her pleasure too, as they also took opportunities to come together. Her forlorn desire was passe now, as carefree Alicia frolicked barefoot with all around. Georgina, however, sensed their social special camaraderie. Taking charge, the vixen drew Orwell away and requested he put on pounding nonstop dance music she had brought to the party. Battle of the bands ensued between the Beach Boys, Beatles, and Rolling Stones. Vivacious Miss Amadou became the featured dancer for all to applaud and learn from as she interpreted Mongo Jerry's In the Summertime with high octane energy. Taking a well-earned rest at last from polishing the dance floors, the young people shared tea and crumpets in the warm glow of the parlor. Their fellowship was refueled when Mrs. Hughes brought out a delicious platter of barbecued meats, complete with bread and the trimmings of garden vegetables. A local game called Ao a backgammon-like caper involving the strategic movement of small, smooth stones across two sets of bowls was, was introduced by Solomon. Cephas was versed in playing the balafon, a guard xylophone, as was David with the thumb piano, both of which were decoratively stationed about the room. JJ and Alicia shook flamboyant pod rattles in accompaniment as they let down their long hair enough to help churn out a set of ancient tribal songs on instruments that had been purchased by their hosts as exotic tourist curios. The normally reserved Canucks became buoyantly coaxed by Ben into attempting the fancy footwork of a popular tribal dance. 
This cultural exchange ran its course as people swayed and stepped softly to the rolling bubbly circles to David's eerie chants and the rhythmic beat of Solomon's hand drum. They took turns singing folk songs and sacred hymns to the accompaniment of Orwell's piano, Susie's auto harp, Alicia's violin, JJ's flute, and Kathleen's guitar, which in a spirit of cooperation she spared, shared with Benjamin, who then strummed his own fine music. At Georgina's request, Ben led the group in a melodious rendition of Kumbaya, my lord. Seated on the couch between two exotically beautiful women who loved and were loved by him, Alicia singing, laughing and clapping her hands, and Georgina smiling contentedly as he lay with her head upon his shoulder, Orwell could not have wished for a better party, save for Tracy to also be in attendance to savor the festivities with him. As the Westminster clock chimed 10, JJ came up with a crazy party game that squeezed the last ounce of energy from the mellow group of satisfied tiredness. Asking puckishly for a clever volunteer and choosing Dapper Ali as the obvious candidate, JJ gave this suave Globetrotter a photograph to memorize, but not she sternly instructed to share with anyone else. The ringmistress directed her victim to lie on the floor while Alicia draped him in an iconic Hudson Bay blanket. JJ then invited the stupefied audience to guess what was the mystery object depicted in Ali's photo. The performer must stay shrouded and sworn to silence, but he could nod, shake his head, or act out his answer to any question asked. Are the rules of this charade clear enough? Asked the tiny MC with booming energy. When everybody on both sides of the blanket nodded politely, JJ christened the game to start with a hearty bon voyage. The game started politely, if not awkwardly, as the audience fiddled about asking appropriate yet strategic close-ended questions. Some folks thought if they could concentrate hard enough on remembering all the details, they would see the photograph in their minds, if not somehow steal it from Ali's shrouded person. Sifa suddenly broke ranks when he laughed at the clownish burrowing shaman king. Georgina glared and clacked her tongue at Bellow's bizarre amusement, then murmured her concern that Orwell take charge lest her brother suffocate inside his heavy wraps. Orwell, knowing this high intrigue was meant only to be a friendly parlor game, shattered the tense air by shouting out strategic yes-no question. Mr. Ali, does your photograph depict something live? When the shrouded figure nodded vigorously, causing Georgina to gasp as he generated snaps of static electricity, Orwell smartly followed up. Is your creature a plant? Ali shook his head, then repeated his, this gesture more emphatically when Richard jumped in. Are you a two-legged animal? A person, perchance. Is it a four-legged animal? Inquired Alicia, looking like a scientist now with her heavy glasses on. She was well aware from biology class that insects had six legs, spiders skittered about on eight legs, and some creepy crawlers moved on dozens of limbs until caught and eaten by the locals for dietary protein. Kathleen scowled unimpressed and gave her sister an F for asking such a dumb question when the game was on the line for the boys to win. Like, duh, 
fit with the program already, Fanny. Of course, it's obviously a four-legged animal. We have to get snappy here, cut to the chase. Mr. Ali, do you have a picture of a wild animal? I was getting there, kitty cat. I have a narrow, narrow down the options, you know, play the games intelligently, Alicia muttered aside to her sister. Ali, as though to prove his, her strategic point, nodded vigorously before grabbing Alicia's leg and using it to lumber about on five legs. He extended the extra limb in the air and tried to pull down something huge. Alicia, dragged like a rag doll about the floor, shrieked that Ali was somehow a famished alien who would drag her underneath the blanket to eat. She guffawed and squirmed until he released her. As Alicia desperately clamored to her feet, but gave her sister a stern, wild look. Kathleen, striving to concentrate on the and guess ahead of Richard and Orwell, waved Alicia off like she was some hyperactive child. Does this animal live in Africa? demanded the Hughes brothers enthusiastically together. When Ali nodded, Georgina flashed Orwell a zesty grin, impressed that he was so animated, engaged. He was the life of the party. Ali failed to respond immediately. He suddenly fell miserably behind. He sat slumped like a sad sack. Was he deeply the fusillade of questions? Was he getting too hot and tired? Or was his brain finally fried? Cephas found Ali's humbling predicament utterly hilarious. He so enjoyed the buzz of guess questions flying around that he saw no need to whip up any of his own to throw at his faltering nemesis. Is it a pet? Suzanne asked girlishly, provoking laughter from the others. Cephas practically fell off his seat at what he thought was a preposterous supposition and rolled on the floor, laughing uproariously now as Ali vigorously negated the silly idea like one who felt totally insulted. The audience giggled with amused dismay at Cephas' clowning antics but Ali, provoked by this rude heckler, gained his second wind and responded enthusiastically to Kathleen's musing that he was a large game animal, like a lion or an elephant. Ali assumed a kneeling position, hunched his shoulders and outstretched curved arms below his head to form tusks. He laboriously dug at the floor until his knees gave way when tangled in the blanket. I know, brother. You're acting like an elephant. There must be an elephant in that photo, shrieked Georgina with delight. Ali threw off his sweltering wraps and roundly congratulated her worthy guest, his relief to be free from the confinement of the confinement of the out and far outweighing any bitterness of having lost his secret. Ali bounded over to present his crumpled photo to Georgina, who was celebrating her clever win with Orwell and Alicia. Ali's glistened with sweat, and his voice was raspy as he exclaimed, You are absolutely correct, my dear. Well done. Fabulous. How did you manage it? I figured it out. I chortled Georgina triumphantly as she flashed the prized photograph of the huge gray pachyderm bearing gleamy ivory tusks and a curling trunk as it grazed upon succulent tree shoots in the cool of the day at her subdued rivals, Kathleen, Suzanne, and Richard. I won the game. And I think I'm gonna stop here. Thanks, Robert. 
you put a lot of descriptions of a lot of uh, a lot of cultural things in there that, that were really interesting. Did you did you encounter uh, when you were in Africa? Did you uh, did you go for parties with people that were local and and uh, people that were from other places and all that stuff? Yeah, when I when I was at the University of Zambia as a student, I I did go to parties like that, and yep. uh, both at the university and we hosted a party at our house before we, I left, uh, mm. and numerous people from the university came to that party, and uh, as well as Canadian friends and. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, but I mean, when I was at the international school, it was the high school, there was one or two Zambian students in the whole school. Like, oh, okay. It was kind of an odd situation. Like we, there was, even though Zambia was an independent country, uh, it seemed that expatriates and uh, Zambians didn't really mix that well in, in schools. Mm -hmm. And the international school happened to be a private school. Uh, if we had, say, gone to a, a national uh, government school, we would have been the, probably the only white people in that school. Mm -hmm. so, so that's how stark it was. But the University yeah. of Zambia, I was able to go to parties and enjoy people. And as a minority, I was a visible minority, but I was able to meet. So what, what prompted you initially to, uh, to write about your experiences in Africa? Uh, well, I, for me, I, I appreciated the time that I lived there. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, it wasn't easy living there in the in early 1970s. There were a lot of racial tensions happening. Like in 1974, the Portuguese who had colonies right adjacent to Zambia on East and West, they just packed it up and left. Yep. Um, they had had a coup in their country and the government of 50 years fell. Uh, yep. So they just left and um, just turned the colonies over to, to local uh, politicians. And then yep. like in South, South Africa and Rhodesia, which was now Zimbabwe, uh, they were countries that Zambia was enemies with. Uh, uh, Zambia was uh, opposed to apartheid and uh, racism and of colonialism and uh so i was just trying to capture that time like that was when i yep. was in my late teens mm. coming towards 20 and uh i i wanted to uh speak about those experiences uh and honestly i the more i live i see that there's not much there's a lot of similarities between canada mm -hmm. and southern africa of that era oh yeah there were a lot of there was a lot of uh, like people in zambia were more free to meet and visit and that but there was still a lot of separation of uh races and i see that in in canada too and especially oh, indigenous people like how they're they've been kept down uh for generations by um, the colonial attitude of the canadian government uh, yep. like it wasn't much different from the apartheid in South Africa at yep. the time and so I I wanted to bring that idea out uh, oh. I I feel that Canada needs to get its act together and mm -hmm. uh, Canada needs to change Canada needs to become more inclusive and yep. I, I I talk about it in this book to some degree 
mm-hmm. kind of setting those ideas up. And so that was the other reason for writing it. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. So do you have any favorite authors you might recommend that would also talk about the African experience or? Um, well, Alan Patton was somebody that I, he wrote the story, Cry the Beloved Country. Oh, about South Africa during the apartheid era. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that story. I also appreciated some of uh, Chinua Achebe's writing. He was a Nigerian author. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote about the uh, Nigeria during the colonial era as well as later. Uh, Wale Yenka was another uh, Nigerian author. Mm-hmm. He actually won the Nobel Prize for Literature. Yeah. Uh, there were there was quite a few authors um uh florence nwapa yeah i'm not sure which country she was from now but uh, i mentioned her in my book earlier like because oh, Orwell yeah. was a somebody that went enjoyed being in the writers club at the university of zambia and they he was really into reading the about not about the african authors and their 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 novels and their stories and and so those are some that I can think of right now. Uh, yeah, I, I know there's others, but uh, there's been a lot of authors from now, Africa. Now, on the flip side, um, do you see any uh, Canadian authors, uh, Indigenous authors, perhaps, uh, who who uh, who you feel gives a good account of the experience of the Indigenous people in Canada? Uh, yeah, there's there are authors that I would suggest. Uh, uh, the the person that wrote uh, uh, like Thomas King, he's mm-hmm. not Canadian, he's American, but he's written numerous uh, uh, books about the indigenous experience. Uh, mm-hmm. There is a book also that was written by um, uh, Warren Kinsella, I believe, or no, W. O. Mitchell. Oh. W. O. Mitchell uh, about the it was called the Vanishing Point. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote that. That's several one of his I must have missed. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, that's the, he. He wrote it from the experience of a uh, somebody like during the uh, era of the residential school, somebody that uh, was an Indian agent and a kind of an agricultural oh, stuff. And he he was a teacher. He was a teacher at this residential school, uh, or not? A, I don't know if it was a residential school, but it was an indigenous school on the reserve and he taught there and uh he uh he talked about the 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 differences and what he saw and like he actually had it it was it was a good story yeah yeah i i I remember i picked up a book um i didn't finish reading it and i don't remember the author i don't know if you might be able to help me it was a book about indigenous people but it was a book set it was a book written first of all by archaeologists Okay. And but it was a novel and it was set before the time of colonization, before Europeans actually came to uh, North America. And um, it was just a purely indigenous uh, tribe versus tribe kind of a thing. And it was it was so fascinating uh, just to think of, you know, that how much was here before the Europeans came in and enlightened everybody, so to speak. Yeah. No, that would be that would be an interesting read because you would uh, that person probably brought to light a lot of I mean, these were very advanced societies that were here before the Europeans came here. 
and uh, they, they, uh, they, there were many more indigenous people than there are nowadays, like there are millions across yeah. North America. So uh, very diverse and uh, yeah, so no, that would be good, yeah. Now, how do you feel about um, the, uh, the situation of uh, people who were taken from Africa or immigrated from Africa that now live in in a culture that uh, is is not culturally sensitive to the to them. Uh, does that make sense to you? Uh, they were um, taken. Uh, why, why were they taken? I mean, I mean, like from hundreds of years ago uh, when they when with the cotton farms and things like that. And oh. um, do you have any? Uh, have you read any books about that experience or about the American experience for Black people? Africans. Yes, I yes, I've read quite a few books. Yeah, about oh, yeah? slavery and uh, and uh, even after slavery, uh, like in some parts of the United States uh, and even in Canada, like we had black slaves in Canada uh, oh. at one time as well. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean they those they've had yeah they've had quite a different experience in life. Uh, like I like uh, one of the stories that I really and appreciated reading was uh to kill a mockingbird oh by uh by harper uh harper lee harper lee yes uh and she, she wrote that book in 1960 so that was uh around the time of the civil rights movement in the states yeah but uh she wrote it like it was based in the 1930s in alabama so it was oh, a tough time in the southern u.s at that time and so yeah, that was one of the books I enjoyed uh, reading. Uh, I mean, I remember reading books like uh, Mississippi Burning. I think there was one uh, came out in the late '80s, Cry Freedom. Okay. I, I saw the movie and read the book, and uh, there was another one. Um, oh, I, I was really moved by uh, the the story of uh, Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley, who later wrote uh, the 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 Roots saga. Yes. Yeah, the roots, the roots series. Uh, yeah, like it was a book, but it also became a television. Uh, yeah. Uh, series. Yeah, no, that was quite informing to me, like because mm. that showed how they came. Uh, like, like uh, Kunta Kinte was a was a was a African man that was just taken by the slave traders and uh, brought to yeah. North America, and he was actually, I think, of royal blood and. And how he how he suffered, uh, and then his generations afterwards, how they had to reclaim their their independence, and like it was, yeah, it was. Now, quite what, a, what would you say to a young person who has has sort of a, a lot of romantic dreams of uh, maybe traveling in Africa or studying in Africa? What would you say to a young person, a young Canadian person, uh, who who wanted to follow sort of that route you you took there? Yes, I would say go for it, like go yep. there and learn. Like, uh, I think, like, I don't know whether, like, I, I mean, I didn't, my book talked about Zambia, for instance, being quite a uh, advanced nation uh, mm -hmm. shortly after independence. And they had a lot to offer, like they had a good, strong tourist industry. Uh, they also had a lot of, they were quite, they had a copper mining industry that was second to in the world, I think. Mm -hmm. And they, they had a they had a a president who was um, like he he believed in what they call humanism, where all people are equal, and all yep. people matter, and all people we should care about each other. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so these were values that he taught the people. Uh, and Zambia was a fairly uh, uh, peaceful country. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like going, I, I, I'm always interested, I'm fascinated by Africa. Like Africa is a very diverse continent, like lots of different cultures, lots of different countries. Mm -hmm. They all have their own struggles, but they also have like Nigeria to me was very way more. It was very dynamic as a country. Nigeria, mm -hmm. I went there in the late 1980s. So 15 years after I left Zambia, I went to Nigeria to work and uh, I found Nigeria to be quite different. Like yep. there was a lot more people there, but uh, it and they also had issues of Christian Muslim um, kind of conflict, but. Mm -hmm. and they had a lot they had had a civil war uh, nigeria never had that so uh oh we uh, have a question popping up yeah, yeah. answer the question i'll read it out for you uh ken reining asks were you working on this novel while on safari with our family in luangwa valley 1972 or was that some of your other literary works <laughs> okay well ken knows me from that time yeah like Wow. Uh, so I, that's when I was trying to start it. Like it took me 30 years to write this book uh, mm. to get it published. Uh, Leaf, like yeah. I, 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 I was congratulations. Writing, I was writing down my ideas. It's something that needs I was written. probably that era, like when I was in Africa, I was getting my ideas written down mm -hmm. and descriptions and all that. That I, yeah, so positive. Yeah, probably that's when I was first uh, working on it. Yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, I recall, uh, I, I always sort of felt that my first book should be an autobiography, because people like to talk about themselves the most, and that would sort of get me in, but it actually took about, like these, like you said, it took decades, yeah. but then once I got my first book written, um, uh, the experience was so wonderful that I, I continued to write more, and I hope you do too, I mean, uh, you, you could, uh, there's, there's so many avenues to explore in these uh, in these topics you write about yeah we well, have this, another this, question from ken reining he's asking about what other books you've published okay okay well uh the, to ken uh, this is like the one that i've read from this is the third book i've published it's called come by here my lord seen in a mirror dimly i i wrote a book that i i published a book uh in the summer uh that was actually my mother's writing my mother you know passed away in 2019 but she wrote a diary so about her family's trip to east africa we went from lusaka zambia to nairobi kenya mm -hmm. and like we were a family of nine people like seven kids all under the age of 16 mm -hmm. like i was 15 at a time my and we camped we were in a peugeot 404 station wagon so it was pretty rough living, but uh, my mother wrote that manuscript, then I published it. It's called Saf Amateurs on Safari. Mm -hmm. Amateurs on Safari, cool. Yeah, and it talks about our journey and what we saw and what my mother saw. It also talks about wildlife, and it talks about uh, some of the history of Africa, like the, uh, the European history and uh, um where the Portuguese were trying to establish themselves on the east coast of Africa and they were struggling with the Arabs for control of East Africa. Oh, uh, so that that's a historic uh, thing that, you know, my mother kind of fleshed out. 
So yep. that, that's what that book is about. It's also got some pictures of Mount Kilimanjaro. My brother Gordon and I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 1971, like the year mm -hmm. after the safari took place. And yep. we actually saw glaciers up on the top and wow. snow. And, and I, from what I understand from people that have gone up there later, uh, a lot of this, that is gone. So oh, wow. uh, it's, it was kind of a privilege to, to see that because uh, Mount Kilimanjaro is almost 20,000 feet above sea level at the top. Oh. It's the highest wow. mountain in Africa. So yeah. like, so that those are the, and I, I and, and uh, leave the, I mean, I've, I've got a sequel, two sequels to the book, Come By Here, yep. My Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, one of them is kind of goes further into the dialogue between Tracy and Orwell and, and some of the issues that they end up having. And then the is called, be careful what you ask for. Because Orwell really wanted Tracy to come and visit him, but he didn't really know who Tracy was. Like Tracy was 10 year, 15 years older than him. And Tracy came with a lot of his own baggage and Orwell had to unpack a lot of that stuff. And so he, that's where that, that novel is about. Yep. And then the third novel in the kind of the series that I hope to publish someday is called A Dangerous Journey, where Tracy, instead of going back to Canada with his sisters, they, they go down to South Africa and they take a nor uh, Orwell and Richard with them. They almost kidnap them. And uh, and take them down there, and that was during the apartheid era. And so it talks about my remembrances of South Africa. Um, like I was now, now before I forget, um, for anybody watching, can you can you explain how they can get copies of your book, or are they available in libraries? Uh, well, the the one the come by here, my lord, is available at Friesen Press Bookstore uh in in victoria bc like it's uh, it's it's available online there mm -hmm. uh it's also available at my website called proudfoot family art uh and then the first book that you alluded to called uh enduring art active faith three generations create that's also on both of those websites on freezing press freezing Re press bookstore and uh, proudfoot family art Mm. I, the other two books I've written, like Amateurs on Safari, and uh, I wrote a book about my grandparents in Edmonton. Uh, they were here in the early 1900s, and it talks about mm. the Spanish flu and uh, the a uh, uh, lot of the the war and, and Edmonton of 120 years ago. What it was mm. like. Uh, it's a more of a history, but yep. those two books are available at at PageMaster Publication Services. There, that's who, and that's a local publisher. That's who who published those two. Yeah, but the, the two that I the sequels to, uh, come by here, my lord, seen in a mirror dimly. I haven't published them yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm working on them. I'm hoping to get them published, but it'll be by somebody else. It won't be by Friesen Press. It'll uh, and like come. Uh, I, it'll be at least a year before the. Be careful what you ask for. Is I would say is out in print. Like, uh, yep. Uh, but I'm working on it. I like. I mean, there. Something I try to remind writers is that uh, when you get your books into a library, it's important to register them with the public lending right. Yeah, um, I've done that actually. I've excellent. Done that. Okay. Uh, like, Great. I wanted to say that's one thing. That's good you reminded me. Uh, like the book I just read from, 
as well as come by here as sorry as well as my book about my grandparents and my book about uh enduring art active faith those three books were were accepted into the uh capital city press collection at uh, at the edmonton stanley milner library uh this summer like in in july so they are available for public reading at that library downtown uh they're um excellent i mean they're also uh, like i have them registered with the uh national library uh service uh that provides books to all the libraries uh, uh so you know they may be in other libraries now uh i know mm. indigo books stores in edmonton uh we're trying to sell some of my books uh and uh the other uh thing is that there's a, that the one i wrote about my grandparents which is has a lot of historic value mm -hmm. uh you can you can see those books at the uh, edmonton public schools uh archives and uh library and yep. also at the city of edmonton archives because they're they were accepted into both of those places because they have a lot of historical stuff about uh city of edmonton and about yep. teaching edmonton public schools about the edmonton police service uh so um and a lot of this things were going on in edmonton 120 years ago so uh i hope it doesn't seem silly or anything but uh, by any chance were, were your parents missionaries no they weren't missionaries uh, cool. uh my father worked for canadian international development agency he was oh the, yeah uh, head um of that delegation in zambia from 1969 to 1973 and then he came back in the mid-1970s for another year uh, so he was a he was an educator. He was an engineer. He was helping Zambia start the uh, Zambia Institute of Technology. And mm -hmm. uh, like the guy that uh, asked a couple of questions there, Ken Reining, actually his father was also working with my dad. Uh, oh. There were several Canadians that were working together to help Zambia build the Zambia Institute of Technology. Which uh, so that's what my dad did. My mother, uh, she volunteered with the zambia ywca mm. she did a lot of teaching of to zambian ladies uh especially ones that had children or mothers like that were going to give birth to like she was helping them with improve their skills because some of these ladies had no husbands and my mother was helping them like uh through the ywca yeah. just uh providing uh mentoring uh -huh. uh, so, so that's those are things, and and then we were involved in our church over there, and uh, involved in, mm -hmm. but we weren't missionaries. And when oh, I went to Nigeria to work, I wasn't a missionary. I was an agro. I I, I have a, ba a professional background in agroforestry. Oh, okay. So I was helping. The reason work. I asked, I have a I have a close friend who uh, he was born and raised in Saint Vincent to missionary parents. And some of the, the the stories you were telling about moving around uh, kind of sounded a bit similar to some of the stories he told me. Yeah. So have you, what was Italian. your most recent trip to Africa? My own. Your own, yeah, your own rec most recent trip. Did you have you been back or? I have not been back there since oh, we left okay. Nigeria in 1991. Oh, I see. Uh, but my brother. What did you see change in 20 years? What what changed? 
Yeah, what did you see like from from 71 to 91? What did you see change in Africa? Or, or was there a significant changes? No, I think there's been a lot of changes. Um, yeah. I think uh, I, a lot of the countries are uh, quite modern now. Like the, the, I think when we went there in the 70s, like, you know, they, a lot of people didn't have running water or telephones or electricity mm -hmm. even, but, but the, the country was trying to introduce it. Yeah. Or they get it supplied out all over the place. But I think nowadays uh, it would be all over. Like there would yep. be, it wouldn't, and they would have cell phone coverage. Uh, I think one of the things about Zambia is that it, like the president that was there when we were there, he's, he's passed away now, but uh, he, um, they have a better democracy, I think, than what they did. Like he was what you, like he was the president of a one party state Oh. He was, he was, uh, he was, and there was like, he was like a dictator for life. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so I don't think that would fly nowadays in Zambia. Like they, they have, uh, I think they have a better system where they elect people like a party system. Yeah. And, now I hate uh, to cut you short, uh, but yeah. we are getting close to the end. Uh, we have yeah. two minutes. If there's anything you'd like to sum up about your book or anything. Anything you'd like to say? Uh, well, I, I, I wanted to thank people for tuning in, whoever did. And uh, you could talk to me about getting copies of it. And if you want to follow me, I'm trying to get my Twitter account going. And uh, I, uh, I'm also trying to get my uh, work out more in the public eye. So uh, uh, I want to write about more about Africa, but I also want to write about uh, Alberta. I have a novel that I hope to publish someday that talks about the uh, people of Alberta. I'm, that's what I am. I'm a fourth generation Alberta Burton. And I think we have quite a unique uh, history in our province. And uh, even today we have quite of interesting things that stand out and sometimes good, sometimes bad. And I, I want to write about it. So yeah, that's great. Yeah. I hope you mentioned me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Leaf, I wanted. I'm to not here. You. Yeah, that's what I want to do, Leaf. I, I get, you're from the Writers Guild of Alberta, right? Oh yeah. And you're a fellow author as well. Oh, I so see. Yeah. I did want to thank you for hosting. Oh, uh, not a problem at all. It's been I, a pleasure. It makes, it, makes it a lot easier for people like myself when we're presenting to have a host. Yeah. So I really thank you for your your work, and I hope you're successful in what you're doing. Like you've published quite a oh, few books you. yourself, and so I'm hoping yeah. that that grows for you too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. All right. Well, uh, I think that about wraps it up, and uh, thank you everyone for tuning in, and thank you Robert for your for your wonderful reading. It was a great pleasure to talk with you. Okay. See you, everyone. <laughs>